Write On Audio, the podcast for writers and all who are interested in books, literature and the printed word. Write On Audio has moved to a weekly format, splitting our content into shorter themed podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so you don't miss any of our editions. This is a Write On Audio Showcase. Today's showcase is selected by Amber Hall. Amber is a writer of prose and fiction essays based in London. With a background in brand communication and copywriting, Amber has recently joined the pen to print team and is a regular contributor to Write On. Here she is to introduce her showcase, which follows our monthly theme of Worlds Apart. Hi, my name's Amber Hall and I'm the showcase editor for August. I'm a London-based writer and I've been working with the folks at pen to print for a few months now. Our theme this month continues to be worlds apart and the pieces I've chosen explore the idea of connection to our authentic selves, to each other and to our planet as being a driving force in our lives. I think our submissions prove that the written word is one way to capture this. First is a piece I wrote about my great-grandma, whose memory I often connect to through my writing. My great-grandmother was a kindly woman, saucer-eyed and pink-cheeked. She grew purple pansies in her front garden that were so richly hued, passers-by would comment on them. She showed her love in small ways, rather than through grand gestures. I'd always leave her house with freshly washed laundry that smelled faintly off her tinged with lavender and a Tupperware box of cakes or sandwiches. She'd make boiled eggs for breakfast and get the yolks just right for dipping. My grandma was stoic, too. She held deep within her private heartbreaks and griefs that were too big to bear. Often I would catch her crying silently. I never knew why, she never said. But I did know that she had suffered many great losses burying her husband, a child, and a grandchild before the age of 60. These griefs showed up in the minutiae of everyday life. She kept a tissue up her sleeve, which, when the pain came, she'd take out and use to wipe away the tears. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about her and the other women in my family. We're all women on my mum's side, and each of us learned early on from our mothers and grandmothers not to make a fuss. We felt it in side glances and raised eyebrows, in the questioning looks whenever a new opinion was put forward or an idea refuted. Don't make a scene. Don't take up space. Don't get too big for your boots. My grandma, despite her endless love and warmth, used to say these things to me. She sensed an inner wildness, a discontent. I was prone to daydreaming and impossibly stubborn. We've never had one like you before, she'd say to me. Working class women inherit an identity, one that's designed to keep them small, unnoticed. My grandma, with her untapped sorrow, embodied this completely. I often wonder what she'd have done if she'd had some faith that she could take up space in the world, explore it a little. Now I think of her home. It was cosy and, like her, unassuming. It wasn't sparsely furnished, but everything in it dated back to the 70s. 
Presumably this was the last time she'd had enough spare money to redecorate. The walls were covered with foamy 3D-flocked wallpaper. I'd press my fingernails into it, wondering when tactile interiors fell out of fashion. And alongside the obligatory family portraits and holiday photos, she'd hung a copy of L.S. Lowry's Going to Work in the Lounge. It always struck me as a fairly awful picture, and my opinion of it hasn't changed. It's bleak and colourless. The faceless crowd of matchstick characters, factory workers, of course, flock with their heads bowed, carrying the weight of their hardships on stooped shoulders. So it seemed strange to me, at the time, that this should be the one piece of art my grandma would choose to hang. Now, though, I see that this picture spoke to that inheritance. You have two things, it said, the factory and the family. So, of course, that's what she hung. For her, it represented the two things that she, a working-class woman, lived her life by, honest labour and community. But I felt differently about it. To me, this picture represented everything I wanted to escape, and to want anything else, to even consider it, would be a betrayal, a radical rejection of my destiny. Because the truth is, Life is hard without money or prospects. And now, many of those factories, those pillars of community, have gone. I left as soon as I was able to do so, fleeing to the city. What else was I supposed to do? These streets are paved with gold, after all. I'm too sensitive, too much for that place. Unlike her, I can't hold it in. I cry at the smallest things. I don't have tissues up my sleeve, but my heart's up there, somewhere. I've lost that hardy outer shell that working-class northerners have. I've gone soft. <laughs> Hell, I've gone vegan. Again, I think of my grandma and her grief. What did she see, I wonder, when she looked at the Lowry print that she bought all those years before? Did she recognise her parents in the crowd? Did she ever pause before it and think of what else might have been? Or, in seeing the faceless characters, void of emotion, was she reminded not to cry? It's funny what we remember, and how big the littlest things can be. The second, written by Tavern Deneu, posits love and memory as connecting forces in spite of physical distance and catastrophe. Even though you were worlds apart from me, you were in my heart. The war has taken you away from me, but all I do is pray that you will return. I read your letters daily. I think of you daily. I miss you daily. Even though you were worlds apart from me, you are in my heart. The war has taken you away from me, stalled our dreams together, but all I do to cope are my regimes to bide time as it grimes every day. Even though you were worlds apart, you are in my heart. The war has taken you away, yet there is still love that is above and ties us together. I send you food parcels, 
while you were glued with my picture in your jacket. Even though you were worlds apart, I know you will come back to me. Perhaps there will be a crack in you, but our love will fix that and build the bricks of us together. You are not that far away as I think of you and think of me. We are together. Um, the next piece that we've got is a poem um, by Jack Tattersall called You Watch. Ochre had taken over all the leaves in the tree. Yellow chartreuse lingers in a few, but deep wood burnt browns line the ribs of mostly orange dying leaves that hang. I've seen them in the garden below. They are collecting. They fall like spears having curled in onto themselves. The yellow larch is orange deepest yellow cadmium in the sun. Just a little chartreuse remains. She's delicate. Oddly, the last of this green stands on two towering limbs at the top. Late sun shines through, and it's a chandelier to the street. The clouds above, grey pockets under layers of white, sail across, away so quickly. I sense it's not safe for these fragile things, fall leaves. The breaks are in torn pockets through multiple layers, grey-white ships, wreckage above, fields of blue behind, and between tears they themselves unsettle close, collide, filling the blue window. So much green, tree, the grass, Hedges and beds, stems and bushes of bloomed flowers. It's the light that gives cool away. It's the shadow that tints the decay. Slow, pay attention. Things happen in the shadows. Reflections are not drained. Colour leaves pale hues that shimmer and fool us. The light sets. We rise up before dawn and see the truth. The shimmer is a dead edge, a curled scar, a dry hard leaf, a shiny residue, a dull dim underleaf. The jagged giants above have moved on out of my neighbourhood. A line, a halo of light, dresses the mountain's edge. It sails by, a ship, billows of white, dense, opaque, deep, thick, white light, rounded seems to curl round into the dark grey below, sky again, and how it creeps this slip of cloud lower, lower white behind the giant trees, those above the houses. Will some other place receive a storm? Have I willed in the blue? I recall the cobalt blue all morning. The white last piece behind the horizon. Those crowns, highest one, are beacons reflecting striking white between their limbs. The sun is sinking. 
as of the clouds. This and dusk has sailed in as the clouds sailed out. Low now. There are no causes for chandeliers. No reflections to shimmer. The final piece I've chosen is a poem by Akshitha Ramalingam, which serves as a reminder that there's inspiration to be found in the natural world and how vital this connection is. On the shimmering Koli pool, calm and majestic she stood. The denying envy minds kept denigrating and she cheerfully disregarded the happening. The Ridleys adored her sparkling glaze as the bleaking chasm yearned her highness. The eagles rebelled to nest on her, as the desperate oysters longed to have her in. The rain wished to imprint on her, as the fireflies craved to gulp her in. But she the moon, unconditionally and irrevocably in love, that she melted, drowned and indulged into the heavenly ocean of lasting ecstasy. Thank you to Amber Hall for introducing and selecting today's showcase. You heard pieces from Davinda Cornu, Akshitha Ramalingan and Jack Tattersall. The readers were Sally Walker-Taylor and Chris Gregory. We'll post a link to the showcase so you can reread the pieces and links to find out more about Amber Hall in the show notes for this podcast. This podcast has been presented by Tiffany Clare. Write on Audio is produced by Chris Gregory and it's an alternative stories production for pen to print. 